Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Today we welcome Dr. Madi L. Casey, Professor Emeritus of Soil Physics in the Department of Agronomy at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. Monty heard Dr. L. Casey speak over 20 years ago and was deeply impacted by what he learned from him. His research focuses on the effects of crops and tillage systems, crop residue, cover crops, and nitrogen applications on soil carbon dynamics, sequestration, greenhouse gas emissions, and ecosystem services. Monty and Dr. L. Casey discuss all those areas and so much more. So let's jump right in. Welcome, everyone. I'm joyed to be joined by Monty L. Casey today. Um, I met him at a, an agronomy conference that he was speaking at. I think about 21 years ago. So it, it's been a while. And uh, his work was so impactful to me that I, I remember it and think about it all the time in the field when we're developing various tillage systems. So thank you so much for being here today and, and welcome. Thank you for the invitation, Monty. Pleasure to be with you. And I'm glad you still remember me. <laughs> it has been well, a while. Yeah, it has, and and a, and a lot of uh, waters under the bridge, or or in this case, a lot of carbons in the atmosphere or in the soil, right. depending on your tillage <laughs> practice. Yeah. <laughs> well, for everyone here, uh, tell us your story, um, uh, kind of your background and 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 the research that you've done over many many years. Well, it's. Um, uh, I'm a soil scientist by training. I finished my uh, graduate uh, degrees from North Dakota State University. And uh, that was a long time ago in, the, <laughs> uh, in uh, 1987. I finished my PhD in soil biophysics and basically focus on the uh, mechanical and biological, you know, activities in the soil system. And through my career, I work in many uh, different areas related to conservation of practices. And that's really my early career and uh, the experience I gained through my academic training shape my thinking, how should we really couple the environmental aspect with the agronomic aspect to have a sustainable system. And that's when I start working extensively when I start at Iowa State University uh, 20, 23 years ago to focus on the soil carbon dynamics. And that's basically in a, in a lay language is what our management of practices is going to do to the organic matter in the soil system. And we conducted several studies uh, through my work and research and extension to work closely with the farmers and understand the management and their impact on their productivity and also on sustaining the soil system. So we focus on monitoring the carbon change through different uh, cropping system. Here in the Midwest, uh, like in Illinois and any other areas in the corn belt, uh, we focus on corn and soybean as a really main crop production systems. So we design our studies and our work to monitor the impact of the crop rotation coupled with the tillage system on the change in the soil carbon 
dynamics and the soil carbon status. And that's eventually is going to affect the soil health. So part of my research was focusing as well on the soil health as related to these the cropping systems, whether continuous corn or corn soybean or corn, corn soybean or inject another the crops in the mix like cover crop, for example. So that's kind of in the nutshell, really how I start focusing the last two decades plus of my research on that area. And, and it was rewarding work to see uh, colleagues like yours and others to really benefit from this work. And that's the ultimate really satisfaction, not just the publication we put, we publish a lot of work, whether extension publication or research papers, conferences, committees, national, international. I uh, was engaged in over the last few decades with the international work in South America, Latin America and China and overseas. So uh, that's kind of in the nutshell, Monty. It's uh, uh, a quick summary of <laughs> my background. Well, it's hard to summarize 20 plus years in, in, in doing what you've done. And I, I think something else that's uh, good to know is that's why it's so hard to run across system researchers such as yourself, because okay. to get a true understanding of what is going on, it requires such a long period of time to be able to visualize the differences and quantify right. the differences right. within, you know, those different systems. Because, you know, if you're looking at, for example, you'd said uh, corn, corn, bean rotation. Well, there's four years to get through one rotation. And I'm sure it takes more than <laughs> one of those sets, you know, to really right. try to uh, get the data out of it. So, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the other yeah. thing is, is you don't sell a whole lot of uh, farm machinery or agrochemicals or seed as a result of your research. So getting funding can be a challenge right. also, correct? Right. Uh, absolutely. And actually, you spot on with the really the system approach for any research. And especially in the applied research, when you look at the uh, system we have, the complexity of the landscape we have, I, and to have tangible results that you could serve the farmers and make a decision because that's their livelihood and that's their business, make a living in you know, choosing this kind of lifestyle. So to make that decision, you need well-grounded data and research based on long-term projects. And I'm glad you mentioned that because the research we did, and especially in my research group, once I came to Iowa State, it was an early, 2000, I established long-term tillage and crop rotation studies, and that's cover the entire states. And these studies, after I stepped down uh, in May, I uh, kind of uh, passed it to young faculties to do that. The studies are still going now for the last 22 years. And these studies in, encompasses uh, five tillage systems and a three crop rotation, corn soybean, corn, corn soybean, and continuous corn. Mm -hmm. And that's located geographically in different area in the state to look at the differences, climate differences, soil differences, topography differences, and soil differences. And that will give us a better understanding, not cookie cutter and not one size fits all. For example, I'm sure you're familiar with Iowa 
And that's the case in Illinois too and any other state. If you go to the Northeast, it's completely different from uh, the Northwest formation. If you go to the central in Iowa, we have glacial formation. That's completely different. You go to the Southeast and Southwest, it's completely different soil formation and different rain distribution. So these satellite research sites were located in the same, these seven different areas. To look at the differences in uh, response to different tiller system and to different crop rotation. So we layer that on top of the soil changes and the carbon changes in the soil. We looked also at the economic response of these different tillage and crop rotation. And, and we find very interesting, quiet differences between these different regions driven by the climate, by soil, and the management. Different people manage their soil differently. So the, the, you are spot on. The, the, the system approach, it has to be a long-term approach. And, and you said it right, the funding is very challenging to such a project because people, they fund the project for one or two years and move on to a different project. But really the applicability and the sustainability to make a, a long-term decision about the management changes, it required the long-term studies. And that's very significant. Well, I, I appreciate your perseverance to make that happen because that, yeah. that is a, a challenge to do. So one of my aha moments or, or light bulb moments that I referred to there at the very beginning is I was, I was in the audience at a presentation there at Iowa mm -hmm. State. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, basically as a, as a farmer and crop consultant, so I had both my hats on. And uh, you, had, you were showing uh, the monitoring you were doing on carbon releases of, as a uh, factor of tillage. And I thought it was amazing. Uh, and you graph the amount of carbon dioxide that is released essentially from a tillage event and how quickly it happens. So I'm sitting there and, and you have this um, uh, carbon collector. It's, it's a, kind of a white box that was on a forklift mm. and, <laughs> and the, and the uh, tractor drives underneath and you, you know, set it down right after the pass uh, to start collecting the carbon dioxide release uh, coming out of the soil. And if I re remember correctly, now, I, I, I think there's some grace because it's been over 20 years, uh, but uh, something like 90% of the carbon dioxide released from a tillage event happens nearly within one hour of the tillage pass. Is, is mm -hmm. that about right? Mm -hmm. and pretty right. much all the carbon dioxide that's going to leave is happens within 24 hours. Is right. that did I have that about right? Is my memory good? No, you're absolutely correct. When we, I think what I shared with, with the audience and you were there, I'm glad you were there to observe that. You know, we documented the carbon release from different tillage systems. We have mobile plow, we have chisel plow, we have deep rib, we have strip tillage, and we have no till. So when you look at the continuum of these different intensity of tillage, mm -hmm. as the intensity of the tillage increase, which is namely with the mobile plow, we know, you know, historically what, you know, started the tillage system and the breaking the sod with the mobile plow. It's, it's, it's very disturbing, uh, inverse the soil and disturb it significantly. So the higher the disturbance, the greater the carbon release of from these different systems. So when you look at the intensity of the release, almost 90% losses of carbon when you have high intensity with, you know, Marlboro plow, but with no-till basically almost non-exist, almost about three, 5%. And that's the natural 
respiration process the microbial activities in the soil system. And when you look at the disturbance, we did another study, which is to look at the losses over time. And the majority of the release of the carbon is gonna happen within the first one or two hours. That's probably the majority of the carbon then it's not tapering, you know, a reduce gradually to basically to the natural release of respiration. And the reason for that, when you disturb the soil, you inject mechanical disturbance, you break these aggregates and you increase the microbial activities and then start what we call microbial frenzy feeding on the carbon in the soil system and break it down and that byproduct is gonna be CO2. We have a couple papers published on that over time in the Journal of Soil Science of America. And, and, and basically you look at the, that release as you increase the intensity, you have a greater release of carbon. But even though within other tillage system, we compare different tillage system at the same time, if you go from chisel plow, Marlboro plow, there is very slight difference between the two, but both you releasing some carbon. And that's once you disturb the top six to 12 inches, really you're gonna impact most of the carbon in the soil system where the majority of the carbon, it's really stored. And if you go deep in the soil profile, the carbon concentration is gonna decrease as you go deeper in the soil profile um, as much of the research have shown that over time. We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it, not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. So essentially tillage is injecting oxygen into the soil because we're lifting and we're breaking the aggregates. And right. It's just huge flush of microbial activity and right. in the one to two hour time frame. That That is what the mind blowing part is. And if right. I remember correctly, you know, it didn't matter if it was strip till or moldboard plow or, or in between, that release rate was about the same. It was just the quantity that was released based by the volume of soil that was disturbed. Exactly. Because when... If you remember the peak of, of the release, and when you look at the high disturbance, you have the highest amount of carbon was released within that time frame. And then after that, basically it's gonna reach equilibrium and it start tapering off. And they're just to the natural process of the microbial activities. But, you know, analogy for that, when you do that intensive tillage, is basically just like you're having a, uh, a fire, you know, uh, and, and you just pour, pour gas oil on, on it. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, just you see that, yeah, you know, the burst of, you know, of uh, these different intensities as the disturbance intensities increase, you will see more carbon release and a break into CO2. So I think it's extraordinarily important for farmers to know how much of an impact they have, how quickly by doing a tillage event. So right. I, I think sometimes it's okay to, oh, just run that uh, vertical till machine. You know, it, you go really fast. It's not going that mm -hmm. deep, but you're going in the shallow part that has the most carbon. So, right. you know, per, per inch of soil, you have the most carbon to lose. Right. And uh, it's just, it's gone. And, and all those, um, the other thing that's interesting about it too, is the carbon that you lose is typically, uh, I'm assuming this, and you correct me if I'm wrong, 
more of the simple carbons, um, simple right. saccharides. You're not right. probably losing the humus uh, portion of it. That's more stable. Right. But what you right. do is you you restrict the ability long term for soil to create humus because you know you you you've gotten rid of the sugars that complex over time to grow into humus. Uh, right. So you may not see this effect right away. Uh, right. You, you, your legacy humus can, can bear the load, but over a 20 year mm -hmm. time frame, you don't have any of the carbons to replace the humus that is eventually degraded on a 50 year half-life. Is that, that another reason for the length of the trial to evaluate the, the quality of the carbon within the different systems? Yeah, I, absolutely. When we look, which is you brought really a good point, Montier, it's we have, you know, what we call there is a different carbon pool in the soil system from very active carbon pool, which is the fresh carbon that generated by the root system. Because the majority of the carbon built in the soil is, is coming from the root system. Mm -hmm. that's really the engine to build the carbon in the soil profile. That's why we have a rich soil in the Midwest. If you look at the soil in, um, in any state in the Corn Belt, whether in Iowa, Illinois, or Wisconsin, Ohio, you see the rich organic matter soil because of the uh, formation of the soil based on the prairie system that's have intensive root system and build that organic matter over thousands of years in the soil system. And that's stabilized because less disturbance, there is, you know, more natural system, so very stable system. So when we start raw cropping these soils, Basically, the management start tapping into that pool of carbon we have. The more stable carbon pool built over thousands of years. So when you have the growing season, you have your corn or soybean rotating, most of the fresh carbon built in the top 12, 6 to 12 inches, that generated through the root system organic compounds released from the root system built into the soil. That part of the carbon, we, what we call it is active carbon pool. So once you disturb the soil, that's the first part is gonna be more vulnerable to any disturbance, to any mechanical disturbance, oxidation, microbial feeding on that carbon. So you add to it that tillage, it doesn't matter how you travel on the field, whether you travel four miles an hour or 10 miles an hour, you're gonna damage that aggregate, you're gonna break down that structure, you're gonna release all this carbon, which is very sensitive to temperature, moisture, and microbial activities, that's when you start losing most of the carbon. So if we do that year after year, we are not adding anything to the bank. Just like you have a bank account and you have keep drawing from that bank account, you are not adding any significant amount to it to keep that saving. And that's basically where cover crop or no-till come into play to protect and save that carbon you add it to the soil because it's very sensitive to these mechanical disturbance, to these any intelligent intensity. It doesn't matter whether disc or chisel plow or mulberry plow or deep red, you're gonna lose carbon of these disturbance. You are absolutely right. And the, the other, point that's interesting too like you're saying all the carbon contribution that comes from roots um, plus the the lignin component of, right. of roots because uh, right. roots contain a high amount of lignin compared to the stalks and that lignin is a real great structure uh, for long chain carbons to to build upon and and provide mm -hmm. actual you know it's kind of like rebar for soil 
or, mm-hmm. or have, um, whatever you call the, the fiber mesh that they put in mm-hmm. the, uh, concrete, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. soil. And those things all function together and, and we, we lose that when we do the tillage. So, um, you know, that was kind of the, the, the baseline work. What, what is, um, continue on, what are other things that you found? I, I know you've done work on uh, the importance of residues on the surface and, and <clears throat> calculator there. And also uh, the work that you've done to identify, you know, carbon to depth and, and those kind of things. And, and, and maybe tie that into why is this important, right? You know, um, I think mm-hmm. most farmers know carbon's great for, you know, bulk density of the soil. So, I mean, it's recruiting, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, nitrogen release and, mm-hmm. and nutrient cycling and water holding capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly know that it don't take much to destroy it now. Uh, and then it's, it's hard to preserve it and grow it but mm-hmm. why should we be looking at these things? What have been some of the takeaways from your research over the, over the last 20 years? That's a very good question and, and very practical one because it really goes back to the original concept and idea of uh, conservation of practices. <clears throat> when we look at the conservation practices, we didn't invented just right now. We all remember uh, we are not alive at that time or born at that time, neither you nor nor me with the dust ball in the 30s. And that's where the conservation movement born. And that's where the NRCS, uh, they call the soil conservation system in the old days was established to answer that challenge of the awful wind erosion that, uh, you know, dominated the landscape in most of the country. And a lot of farmer got dislocated and uh, society almost, you know, destroyed because of these natural occurrence, drought plus wind. And that's basically what we did to the ground too with the intensive tillage. And that's where the intensive erosion, you know, the wind erosion, that's where people lost their life and productivity. So no-till was established is to hopefully answer that question and address these concerns. So uh, residue management is a critical. It's a critical not just only for, you know, in some area of the country, like in the Western states or Southern states using uh, residue and keep it for water conservation. But it has another role, which is really to control water and wind erosion. And that's where residue play a significant part. Residue doesn't add a lot of carbon into the soil because when the residue break down from the research, many scientists, uh, including our research, we found if you keep the residue on the surface, the main function for it is really to protect the soil and to protect the original carbon in the soil by moderating the temperature, reducing soil erosion, building soil aggregates, because the carbon in these residue will break down and release as a CO2, almost 70% of the carbon in these residue will be lost. But the significant part of it is the protection of the soil and the protection of the carbon added to the soil during the growing season. So that's the value of these crop residue. And that's what I found from my research on looking into residue decomposition. We did several studies in the field, in the laboratory, how residue breakdown. It's a, it's a microbial activities. People, they said, I wanna size the residue. I wanna cut it small. That's the worst thing you could do to your farm because once you 
dislodge these residue and break it down. And if you have a heavy rain, it'll be washed away. And we saw that, probably saw that in your life, you know, to the fence. And you saw all the residue washed away and lost their value to protect the soil. So that's when we developed what we call the residue calculator. It's basically really, it's a, it's a very common sense approach. How much residue do you want to leave? And that helped the farmers to go and factor in what kind of soil you have, what kind of crop you have, how much, what kind of tillage you're going to use. And that basically is related to the tillage system. So the more you disturb the residue, the more you break the residue, you're going to lose more. And we couple that with the erosion calculator, how much erosion is going to create, uh, whether wind erosion or water erosion. So that's really the, the main message I always preach on it is you need to leave something to protect the soil. That's critical. It's just like you cannot sleep outside naked. Keep something in the soil to protect it. We need to, you know, be generous and we need to be thoughtful how to store the soil because that's the only source we have. And, and if we don't have a good foundation for our agriculture, which is the soil, we don't have productive soil. And there is examples everywhere in the world, you know, because their soil is not as productive as the soil we have and the harsh condition they have. So I think it's, it's very important and very, you know, significant. We need to keep that and sustain that productivity. And that's where the soil health movement start, the regenerative agriculture practices, if you will, all these, they call it climate smart agriculture practices, whatever we, how we want to coin it, it's, it's the same thing. It's how we protect the soil and how we manage it responsibly to, to protect this to be productive for the future generation. So to summarize that real quick, Dr. Alcasey don't care, just don't till. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't care what you call it, just quit tilling. Yeah, yeah. So there is a tremendous amount to unpack in there. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of where to, where to best start. Uh, you mentioned all the, you know, we have a lot of uh, people we get to work with in the West. So both in the Great Plains and California. Sure. And, uh, you know, one other thing that's great about um, residues on the soil surface is UV protection. Because right. uh, UV will break down uh, organic carbons in the soil and just just basically burn it out of the soil. It, it's it's pretty amazing when you get out west uh, really right. far to do that. So that, that's a great thing. But talk, um, you know, a lot of, there's a couple myths, first off. Um, a lot of people that grow a big biomass crop, they think they have to work that into the soil in order to get the carbon into the soil. So, you know, you till it in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, have you run across that several times? Yeah. Yeah. So what is the, so what are you gaining uh, from incorporating it versus what are you losing from the tillage pass? It's, it's always a, a negative, isn't it? Or you'd have to have a huge above ground biomass to to come out ahead on uh, adding carbon to your soil by working in the residues, wouldn't you? Uh, it working, you know, biomass into the soil system. I I don't think will it create more carbon input into the soil. We did a couple of studies and looked into residue breakdown in the field, and these published actually in a couple journals, in the Soil Science Journal of American Agronomy Journal. And what we found, we initially, we want to look into, 
you know, BT versus non-BT. And people, they complaining that BT doesn't break down easily. So we did this study, we did actually um, residue, we put them in mesh back, leave them in the field. And similarly, we did the same study in the laboratory to under control environment. And what we find in the nutshell, that's regardless of the tillage system, the rate of decomposition, which means how fast the residue break down, it doesn't affect it by tillage at all. If you keep them in the soil surface, like in no-till, for example, or if you do chisel plow or deprem, the breakdown of the residue exactly the same. So hold it now. Wait a minute. There's lots of tillage equipment sold to to break down yeah, yeah. those BT residues. Same. Right. So right. And 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 that's where I published these uh, actual studies, and I uh, put several articles in the uh, Wallace's Farmer and others, and 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 I got some feedback and calls. You're, and you were using uh, the wrong piece of equipment. Yeah, right, exactly. So uh, the, you're using the right, uh, wrong piece of equipment or, you know, that, I can't believe that. And, you know, but that's what we did for three years. This study is not one season. We did it actually, one of the study was sponsored by the Iowa Soybean Association. And we released that study just a few years ago, we published the finding. And we did it in the laboratory to, to check ourselves under control environment. And we buried these mesh bag actually, you know, down deep in the soil profile. And we retrieve them every three months. And we take them to the lab, clean them, and run carbon loss on it, how much carbon was lost from the residue. So the point is using, you know, the tillage as an excuse to break the residue. Sure, with high productivity, we have a lot of residue, but how we manage the residue, we need to focus on that, not to get rid of the residue. Sure. I, we did a study how much residue you could remove from the field. Definitely you could remove some of these residue without causing any significant damage to soil health or to the soil structure or erosion. And I have a couple PhD students did that research and we published it because the cellulosic ethanol industry, they wanna do it right, they wanna see how much residue they could remove. And what we found, you could remove sustainably 25%. You can't remove more than this. If you have four tons of residue, you could move one ton. And you keep the rest on the field, basically to protect the soil. Imagine the logistics of only harvesting 25% of the residue, so. yeah. I'm getting yeah. I'm getting a recurring theme in my head here, um, Doctor. That um, a lot of your research that was published probably wasn't uh, you know used in advertisements much. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's unpack that a little bit. I, I love what sure. you're talking about. That you know, running a tillage operation or to get rid of residue makes us feel like we're doing something, right? Uh, we always want to right. do something to solve a problem. Right. It's too boring to not do something. Uh, I think it does kind of hide it, right? It masks it, it throws some soil on top, but visually doesn't look the same mm -hmm. from the road or, or in the field. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not really changing uh, what, what's going on there. Mm -hmm. uh, likely what needs to change is, is the, the BT, did you find in your studies, uh, the BT corn did, uh, versus maybe non-BT corn, was there a difference in residue decomposition? No. We, okay, so same rate of decomposition. The, the, the same rate of decomposition in both, actually. Okay. Yep. 
Very good. I yep. just know from some dairy silage samples I've done, you'll get a little right. less lignin content in the ISO line than right. you do in the uh, BT counterpart. So I didn't know right. if it was. So it's just a matter of our yields have increased. Therefore, we've created more biomass in the field. That's why mm -hmm. residues right degrading at the and, same speed. And, and that's basically because it was genetically modified to resist the European corn borer. And that's basically by changing the uh, the composition of the protein in the in the stalks uh, to kill these insects. Mm -hmm. So that's really didn't change much. Even we run down, you know, it's uh, the paper is published. It's uh, we run down the profile of analysis between both, you know, uh, the BT versus non-BT. There is no significant differences in, in the carbon lignin content, cellulose, hemicellulose, very insignificant differences. What about when we get into all these different chopping heads that are available today where they're trying to size the residue smaller to create more res, uh, surface area? Did, uh, did you look into any of that in your research on um, various we, things? We, we didn't really evaluate these uh, different chopping or sizing of residue. I, I assume it's gonna make probably the operation less, uh, you know, complex and probably is gonna make it a lot easier to navigate. And instead of having long stocks of residue, you chop it into small. But uh, if you go to the fundamental decomposition process, mm -hmm. chopping the residue, and never have any difference on the decomposition rate. And whether you break it down, put it into small bags, we did that, and we put it, you know, just big pieces into the buried down and put it on the surface. We tried many different ways to look at it. And even we did it in the laboratory, we did it several ways we use, you know, these uh, under control temperature and, and moisture in the laboratory and, and we use different sizing to look into that. So generally it didn't make a lot of difference really in the rate of decomposition, how fast the residue break down. So I think we're going to have troubles getting sponsorships from Gearinghoff, Drago, and uh, Rotodisc, <laughs> other type of chopping corn heads, and uh, so <laughs> much for the sponsorships from Turbotill and Dengelman and <laughs> Mocktill and all these other units. So Good luck uh, with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, the tillage event is essentially helping um, our planter equipment then perform better the following right. spring. Right. So right. we need to look at, we need to answer the question in a different way. So when you have the data, so I think a lot of times as farmers, we hear data that we don't like or is antagonistic to what we think. We right. say, ah, yeah, that guy from yeah. the state, he doesn't know what yeah. he's talking about. He he's doesn't know. I mean, you know, right. for crying out loud, this is Rockford, Illinois. It's totally yeah. different here. Yeah, it's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> or or I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Champaign, you know. Well, yeah. th things yeah. are different at the University of Illinois, but uh, right. anyway. Right. Uh, Kim tells me it's better all the time, but uh, you know, <laughs> she's she's got she's biased. <laughs> so I, um, uh, what we really need to look at to make no-till successful is we need to look at, um, like you said, the cover crops. That's a mm -hmm. that's a new tool, really, uh, that we're right. working with in the last ten years, and all of the amazing technologies that have come out in the last ten years for planters to equip right. them to respond to a more variable soil condition. Right. That's the direction we need to be aiming at, not at how do I till this better? Right. I, I, I think I have that discussion, you know, with colleague from John Deere. It's, um, you know, with the tillage um, uh, division long time ago. I went there and gave a seminar about the work I'm doing. And what, one of the points I emphasize during our discussion, we need to think more creatively and leave that discussion 
with more scientific reasoning. And that's basically, we need to come up with solution that are sustainable and more um, towards building a resiliency in our sources. If we need a quick fix, there are a lot of quick fix. And a lot of people in the mindset tillage is gonna be the quick fix for these problems. But I think in the long term, we create more problem, compounded problem over time by keep beating the soil, by keeping disturbing the soil, but we're gonna run into another problem, which is the soil compaction, for example. Uh, a lot of farmers, they think if they keep telling, they will get rid of the soil compaction. But what do you do when you till the soil, you weaken the soil structure. It doesn't tolerate the load of the equipment because the soil is not strong enough. It didn't build that aggregate stability to tolerate the loads and the traffic of the equipment. And instead of telling for compaction, why don't we do a traffic control, you know, and move in the soil in the same, fit our equipment to fit our management and our needs on the field. And instead of having uh, fit your equipment to have the fertilizer, the combine, and the tractor, the same axle, what? So when you travel in the field, you travel in the same area. And that you eliminate the soil compaction spread across the whole field. The same thing with the residue management. Let's think about residue management, not when we're trying to plant. We need to think about it when we start harvesting. <clears throat> and fit that with the combine itself, management, how we refit our equipment to manage the distribution of these residue equally across the field. In the meantime, when I go and plant, why don't I equip my planner with residue removal to open an area so you have a free area to plant your seeds? So there is a lot of ideas, it's very simple ideas. It's not out of the box, it's not new. It's, it's just a common sense management approach that farmer could follow. And the industry could encourage that kind of thinking. And instead of keep pushing the new tools, the soil warrior, the soil that, the soil uh, smasher, the soil beater, I think we need to think more, you know, sustainably, because we all have responsibility, not just on the farmer's back. The industry have responsibility too, to provide new ways of managing crops, managing the field, how we put fertilizer, how we, you know, remove residue and, and so on. So you're absolutely right. I think we need to think out of the box to think about new ways. And I think once you're armed with the research, I was armed with the research that you did, uh, that tillage has such a profound impact so quickly, right. number one. Right. Number two, the changes in the residue. And I, I remember the, the photos of those bags that you're doing. I saw it at another conference and I, I found that to be amazing too. Um, then I knew that, okay, we have to, we have to dress with no-till and, and cover crops. We can, you know, there's a tremendous amount of uh, biology and diversity that happens with the cover right. crops, but we then have to pair the, like you said, just at the very end there, the nutrition to right. our style. And I right. think uh, there's, there's a lot of waste in how we do nutrition. Now these higher prices are right. causing us to rethink this, right. which, if that's what it takes, great. I'm glad. But everybody we work with, we recommend zero nutrient application until the seed is planted. And right. the first nutrition that goes in the field is with the planter 
And then right. the balance of the nutrition is spoon fed throughout that entire growing season, whether it's uh, irrigation in California or Y dropping here in the corn belt, foliar feeding, those kind of things, just so that we can target it to those times and not overload the soil micro uh, microbiome. Right. Because right. what happens when you put too much nitrogen on at once, doctor? Yeah. And what, what happens to your carbon? Yeah, it's, it's basically you're going to have, yeah, eating a frenzy. Right. You're back, that's just the same as the tillage, right? Right, exactly. Because, you know, all these inputs, it needs to be managed in a balanced way. I think if we um, think about managing the field, just like when you manage your diet or the food you eat, in a balanced way, you will have healthy outcomes. So adding more nitrogen, it's not just, you know, bad for the environment, it's economically bad. When you look at the fertilizer now, it costs $1,200 a ton or more. I don't know, I, you have better feeling than I do. I think that's a huge input when you, waste about 50% of that fertilizer goes down the drain. And especially in our environment in the Midwest, if we manage that fertilizer, you know, as needed, you don't go and eat three meals at one time. Why we go and dump all the fertilizer one time? Why don't we think about it, how we manage it you know, I know, you know, we don't have the luxury of managing the fertilizer, you know, during tasseling or when the corn is, you know, up high. But I think there is other ways you can supplement that nitrogen and apply it during the period where the most needed by the crop. So the management is a critical component of saving money and saving the environment. It's not to work hard, but we need to work smart. And I don't think it's hard work. It's just hard thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and basically, the basic is there. I mean, we are blessed here in our agriculture in this country with the wealth of information from line grant universities, from the industry, from everybody. No other countries in the world have that opportunity and that luxury and the technology we have. So that's, if we don't capitalize on that, really we have no excuse if we make a dumb mistake. We know? really have a, a wealth of information, yeah. but we have a poverty yeah. of application. Right. Because and, and, you just can't see it because we're, we're you know, it's human nature, right? Right. You do what you've done because you've always done it that way. And if you do something different, you don't want to have been wrong for what you used to do. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So the information is out there. We just need to be a little right. more diligent and finding something that is opposite of what we were thinking. And yeah. I, and I think the availability of the information, it's, it's unbelievable. I work in many different systems in many different countries. And here in our country, we have the availability of information, the accessibility of information. And especially with the land grant universities and the extension system available, to anybody. And that's, that's a unique by itself. You know, I visit many different other universities in different countries. They don't have such system what we have here. So I think building that, you know, mechanism, building that base knowledge, it's, it's critical to the success of our farmers. So they need to really capitalize on that and use that research. It's, it's available. 
So what does the what's the future hold for you, sir? What's what's next on your on your plate and in your plan? <laughs> well, I actually um, decided to uh, retire last last year. So uh, currently, I'm double. You know, the the passion in me it really doesn't keep me quiet or. Uh, <laughs> stay on the sideline. So currently I'm writing monthly columns to uh, Wallace's Farmer on, on the Carbon co uh, uh, Conversation. And basically you look at it, you know, it's posted on the website every month I write a column about different issues related to, to the carbon market, to, to the carbon challenges and management, soil health, and trying to uh, at least share my 30 years plus of experience and information is still uh, feed, uh, you know, the general public and the farmers and uh, whatever it's worth, hopefully uh, I could help somebody in the process. So doing that and also Working on currently um, uh, soil carbon metrics, it's an LLC. I provide consultation, provide uh, you know uh, uh, any advice related to soil health and soil carbon and management approach that uh, could help. Uh, the industry could help the farmers and any uh, young farmers who need some help in the process. So it's kind of giving me a little more playground, something new to play with it. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's great. And yeah. um, anything else I should have, uh, we should have visited about during our time together here today that I, I forgot to bring up? No, I, I think Matt, you, you cover really a, a wide range of issues and uh, your uh, excellent questions and brainstorming, you know, trigger a lot of uh, really good information to share with, with your audience. I think this all help. One thing I leave the audience with and your audience and people who they have opportunity to, to listen is really, you're providing great service. And, and this is a great opportunity to take these advice to heart and really think about the future sustainability of whatever you do as a farmer and as industry too. Think about the big picture uh, I think we have a responsibility as a scientist, as practitioners, as uh, educators, whatever we call ourselves collectively to, to provide uh, the best information we have. And we have only one planet and we have a lot of challenges. We need to keep the farmers, you know, afloat, we, we need to keep them uh, sustained and that's their livelihood. So the more we be creative and uh, sharing our ideas and experiences will be a great deal. Soil health is a critical issue for the sustainability of the farm. Uh, not just only for productivity and the environment, but eventually is, is really for human health too. Yeah. And it's uh, I thank you so much for all the work that you've mm -hmm. done, your persistence and perseverance, you know, through many, many years. And, and uh, you were certainly investigating soil health before soil health was cool or before <laughs> soil health was even a word. I think even before maybe soil quality was a word. I mean, yeah, yeah. 30 yeah. years, it's, uh, uh, yeah. you know, it's had many different names, right? But uh, the right, it's right. always been the same. How do, how do we treat our soil the best that we can right. to uh, be able to provide for future generations? So Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I want to thank you, Mark, for this opportunity. It's 
is a, a great opportunity of pleasure to reconnect again. And, and please feel free if you need anything in the future. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And we'll share the website and, and how to connect with that residue calculator and, and your other resources. And, sure. and I'll, we'll try to do maybe a little dive on those papers that I was referring to. And we'll put a sure. couple links in there. That would be, I think, handy for those who want to go a little bit deeper. So uh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a uh, wonderful day. Uh, you too, Monty. Thank you. Appreciate it. Wow, what a great conversation. Monty and Dr. L. Casey really connected the dots when it comes to a systems approach, microbial function, soil carbon dynamics, and soil health. I appreciate understanding how one tillage pass can create such a negative chain reaction in the soil. The great news is that research like the work Dr. L. Casey and his team have done can help us evaluate our system practices and make great changes that improve soil health. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement those great practices, check out our website at asn.farm and there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.